Everybody this side need one? Two fifty, three quid. One ninety-nine. Cheers. Anybody else? Good. You've all got your phones, tablets with you. Um, and we'll get into our talk right in just about a minute or two. But if you have a Bible, then just to get ahead, you can turn to Luke chapter 5, and um, we'll get that going. So that gives you a head start. Um, good to be with you. We should uh, stand, shouldn't we? Continue our worship, giving back to God as he has given to us. And um, good to be with you this morning. So let's stand. Let's continue our worship of giving. Giving back to God. And... Um, yeah, let me pray before you, we give this morning. If you need an envelope, apologies. We uh, dropped the ball. We forgot to get the envelopes. There is plain envelopes, if you don't mind, if you want to get, so that we can get 25 pence back in every pound note. Uh, just stick your name on the envelope, and then we can trace you as a gift aid uh, person that's already re- recorded. So would you mind doing that? Uh, do you need an envelope? Again, it's kind of awkward putting your hand up to say you're giving. They're just down the back. You can pick them up on the stands straight down the back. But let me pray for us. Let me pray for our community and our town. And uh, just that God would increase our hearts to be generous and that we would catch his heart of generosity and give to him. Give into the kingdom and to the vision and the mission of Vineyard Church. Jesus, we want uh, our vision connected with yours first and foremost, God. So give us your picture of this town, this community, how you see it, what is happening. Holy Spirit, would you just enlighten us this morning? We thank you that you're here, and we ask for your felt presence to remain on us, to rest on us as we just sit under Scripture. And God, um, regardless of my voice, I pray that your voice would be the loudest this morning. God, we just pause and we worship you this morning with our finances with the resources of what we've been given, God. And also, we sow in faith this morning, God, knowing that you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even imagine, dream, or think. So, God, right here this morning, would you just catch our hearts, God. Let us be gracious towards us, Father. And, God, we want to catch up with you, the Father's heart, and become more like you. And so we give joyfully, we give thankfully, and we give in faith, knowing that you do much more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for giving. Thanks for being part of the family. And uh, yeah, giving to the need of the family and also to those that don't yet know us. How are we doing? Good, 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 good. Um, We're in a series. Uh, Well, we're in a bigger conversation. I find it very hard to give this a title because it's the, the conversation is much bigger than the individual Sunday mornings. And what we're trying to do here at Vineyard Church Dungannon as a family, as uh, people who have met Jesus, if you're new to us at all and you're figuring out who we are and what we're about, uh, we're basically, we're just a family um, who have met Jesus, who have discovered Jesus, he's transformed our lives, and we're trying to become like him. That's basically what we're trying to do. We might say a lot of other things around that and try and use lovely phrases and uh, all that, but really and truly, that's who we are. We're family that's found Jesus, been transformed by Jesus, and are trying to live our lives with Jesus to look like him and become more like him. And we call that apprenticeship. We call that being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And so we've, we've got three easy ways for us to learn how to walk in that and how to become better at that, if you want to use that analogy, and how we can become more like Jesus. And, and it's, it's pretty simple. The first thing is that we be with him. And we need to learn to, to be with Jesus, to connect with Jesus. Uh, we want to become like him through being with him. And that usually happens anyway. It's a, it's a byproduct. It's, a, it's an overflow of our relationship and intimacy with Jesus. When we spend time with him, we automatically become like him. We become like the one we spend time with. That's a given. And then the end part, we've been doing that brilliantly as a community of faith since we started, is that we want to do what Jesus is doing. And we want to do what Jesus did as he walked on this earth. So we're an outward-focused church, but to be outward-focused, we want to be inwardly strong. We want to know our resource and our source of why we're doing it and really have the energy and the power and presence to do what we've been called to do. So let's jump in this morning. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to flick through a few pages here. If you've got your Bible open, I would encourage you, if you've got a phone, smartphone, or a tablet, that you can use it. You just get there faster and quicker. And the text is Luke 5, 15 to 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you missed our conversation last week on silence and solitude, I encourage you to go onto our website. Uh, you'll see talks on the front page. You should see them throughout all the pages. There's a link for talks. You can go on there and catch up on that. Let's turn over the page. 6 and 12. How are we doing? First person there gets 2P. That's what used to happen when... Uh, are you there? Somebody give that man 2P. A lot of two Ps add up, so there's a lot of verses here, so let's, let's, be, uh, let's get on it. Are we there? 612, one of those days, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And then flick over a couple of pages, 918. Tell me when you're there. Okay, another two P. Once Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do you say I am? Then this might need to turn a page, you may not. Transfiguration 6, or sorry, 9 and 28 to 36, slightly longer this one. About eight days after Jesus said this, he had a conversation with Peter. He took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray as he was the appearance of his face changed, I love this, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Yeah? Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring the fulfillment of Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake and saw his glory, the two men standing with him as the men were leaving Jesus, sorry, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he did not know what he was saying. I love that bracket part. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared, and, and it enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
and the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. So, my conclusion from reading that is that the life of Jesus, the relationship that Jesus had with the Father, is centered around prayer. There is a flow to the life of Jesus. You just, this is just some passages in the book of Luke on prayer. And so he had this routine, he had this flow, he had the morning time prayer. At times he sat up all night and prayed, he went to a mountaintop. As again, I said last week, there's nothing spiritual about that. He just had to get away from people. And the only time or place he could get away where people weren't about is to go to a high mountain and go, to the, go in the middle of the night. And that was the only space he got to speak to his father. That's what I think. That was the only time. So there's nothing spiritual about praying in the middle of the night. There's nothing spiritual about going to certain places. But he just needed to carve out time with his father because that was his routine. When he was busy, the busier Jesus got, we said it last week, the busier Jesus got, unlike my life, the busier Jesus got, the more he spent time with the Father. And ours would be, well, my life would be the opposite. The more time, the, the less time I have, the busier I am, I spend less time with the Father. So we need to correct that routine and that life and that flow. At least I do. Anyway, so he has a flow. He has a lifestyle. And I don't know about you, Scripture doesn't say it, but I think that Jesus' rhythm was so so regular that it was so intentional that I would imagine that Jesus actually enjoyed spending time in prayer. He actually enjoyed time with Jesus or with God the Father, and uh, he actually enjoyed those times. He loved connecting with God the Father, and he loved connecting through prayer, through prayer. Now, if we're going to be honest, and we are in church, so I think we should be very honest at least once a week, eh? If not a few more times than that. If we're really honest, for most of us, that isn't our experience. Now, I know not all of us, but for most of us, that's not our experience, that we just love to pray. We love the rhythm of prayer. We just can't get enough of it. As I said before, how many of you have a problem that you spend too much time in prayer and you're not doing enough other things in your life? Right? And that's not my problem Either I spend way too much time doing other things and prayer gets left to the last thing. Or many of you feel guilty that you're spending too much time in prayer. Anybody got that guilt of shame of just like, I need to cut it down. I need, I'm just spending far too much time praying. If honest, prayer doesn't feel alive in our lives. It feels hard. It feels like it's just, it's not the main part of our week, never mind the main part of our day. And, uh, and I can feel... We can feel like if we're just so busy to stop and to fit it in, right? And we can justify it. We've got so many legitimate reasons. We've got family. We've got commitments. We've got all sorts of things happening. But again, the priority in Jesus' life, the center of his life was wrapped around this thing, this connection with the Father, and it was done through the practice of prayer. And we know that we, we are living, I think we're living in the most difficult times when it comes to praying because we have, again, like I said last week, we have so much distraction in our world. Last week, I talked about the eight-second attention span, the economy of attention. There are smart people out there who are working really hard so that they can grab your attention, and our attention span has gone from 12 seconds to eight seconds. And so there are smart people all the time, and they are paying an absolute fortune for your attention that they know when they got your attention, then they can market to you and sell to you, right? Anybody ever go on YouTube? YouTube's a wonderful thing. I talked about that last week. Is that we, I get frustrated now with the ads because I've got no patience, no time, and you're counting down. So it says like in five seconds, 
right? Five seconds, you can skip the ad, and five seconds feels like an absolute lifetime, doesn't it? So I was on YouTube again this week. YouTube's wonderful. You can learn to do lots of things. I'm thinking of being a brain surgeon. You can do it on, you can do it on YouTube. Well, this week I was a computer expert. I was trying to find out how to fix a um, internet booster. You find that all on YouTube. But here's what I found last week was there was a five-second ad that lasted, started and finished in five seconds. And, in the, and why it caught my attention, because it's one of my favorite restaurants. Smart people. So for five seconds before the ad skipped, they had the deal was done. And I actually ended up visiting the restaurant that week. McDonald's is a wonderful place and it makes me happy and it should make you happy too. So I'm a fan of it. So haters will always hate, but I do love McDonald's. The attention economy. The attention economy. So for most of us, can I say, make a generalization? Michelle says, never generalize, but this morning, can I generalize? Okay, permission to generalize. You have no idea what I'm going to say next. I've just changed my talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm going kidding. to generalize this that for most of us, maybe not all of us, prayer is a weak part of our apprenticeship, our discipleship in walking with Jesus. Ouch. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. We've got to be intentional about it. Have you ever heard the expression, where there's a will, there's a way? Not true. Mostly true. Because there's a will doesn't automatically mean there's a way or there's a process or there's a way, a thing to be done. It just means there's the intentionality for the thing to happen. Where there's a will, there's a way for the way to happen. We need a process. We need patterns. We need rhythms. We need to think how we're going to make the thing happen, right? So it's not necessarily so that where there's a will, there's a way. We come up with things all the time, don't we? And they're just not true. They sound good, they sound brilliant. Some things actually sound scriptural, but they're not. So where there's a will, it's not necessarily a way. So we need to get a practice, we need to get a process, we need to be truly intentional to how we live our life so that this practice becomes part of who we are and we become more like Jesus when we spend time with Jesus. And the way Jesus spent time with the Father is through prayer. Uh, I grew up with the beautiful story in my head of Samuel. Samuel. Has anybody ever heard that story? If you grew up around uh, church world at all, the boy Samuel. He was brought up in the temple. Have you heard of him? Yeah, he was, he was prayed for. He was, uh, his his mum interceded for him and, and just cried out to God time and time again. Jesus, or Father God, uh, answered a prayer. Yeah, and Jesus, he was in the beginning, so he's in part of the solution too in that. So God answers her prayer. Imagine that. Who would pray expecting that God actually does something? So God answered her prayer. She had a son, goes to the temple. She, she dedicates him to to the ministry at that time, which was temple. And, uh, and so I always imagine that he's lying there one night. You know the story when God speaks to Samuel. He's in his little bed and his little be- Samuel pajamas of uh, probably white linen in those days. And he's got his little candle beside his bed and his little posters up at the bottom of the bed of uh, the Torah and uh, Deuteronomy and stuff they got there. So it's all up there in some way, some form, okay? Maybe scrubbed on the wall. And he's lying in his bed and he hears the voice of God speaking to him, Samuel, Samuel, in that sort of way, sort of a sort of Brosnan sort of voice for me. And so God speaks to him and he gets up and he walks and finds out, oh, I thought it was you, Eli. It's not you, Eli. He goes back to bed again. Voice speaks again. And so you know the pattern, right? If you've heard the story, God speaks to him. And then after a while, he, uh, he realizes this, that it's, it's God speaking. 
So that, that's always my picture. But here's the actual reality, and this is what Scripture says. Let me just read it. You don't have to turn there. First Samuel 3, 3, it says this. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. They kept it burning all night. That was the, the lamp of God. There were some images and symbols in, in the temple. The lamp was one of them. It had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Where's his bed? Help me with this. There's no trick question. I promise you, I'm not going to say wrong like I usually do. Where is it? It's around the presence. He's not stuck in some back end of the temple. He has positioned himself as a young boy to be around what, what then was. They are carried the presence, right? We now know that the Holy Spirit lives in us and lives through us. And God is everywhere in our workplace, in our car, and beside those black seats this morning. The Holy Spirit can come beside you and engage with you and speak to you and enlighten you and free you and do some wonderful things in your heart. Brilliant. We've got the best deal. We've got the best date. So he has centered himself in those days, in that time, when the voice and the vision of God wasn't that clear. Visions of God weren't that clear. He's positioned himself around the presence of God. And here's what I take from that there. He positioned himself for an encounter with God and a conversation with God. And that's what we need to do. We need to intentionally, we need to find pathways and processes and rhythms in our lives that actually help us center our lives around the presence of God so that when God speaks, we can hear and know the voice of God. And he does speak, right? So that's what he does. So Matthew 6, 9, and 13 is where we're heading this morning. You can go there. So I'm going to talk about this question of what is prayer. What is prayer? What comes to mind when you think about prayer? And don't give me the Sunday school or whatever uh, classic way you grew up in church world, whether it was Sunday school or, or whatever your denomination was. Don't give me that, the right answer, the answer I want to hear. What is the image right away when you hear about prayer? How do you picture it? What does it look like? Is it a rhythm? Is it normal? Is it natural? Or is it some missionary people praying intense prayers for, for the world? Is it, uh, what does it look like in your head? What is prayer? I want to give you a simple definition of prayer this morning that I think is changing my life. I used to think that prayer is talking with God. It is. But hear me, it's more than that. Prayer is life with God. Prayer is talking with God, not to God. And that's a big difference. It's a big difference. Prayer is a practice, right? But we know that the practice is never the goal. So when we talk about these practices, these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines like solitude and silence and, and prayer, the goal isn't that we've done it. Can you imagine you done, did anybody do solitude this week? My heart is sinking. It's the words that leave my mind. Anybody take any time out with Jesus this week? Just in quiet spirit. Thank you. Okay, it's worth doing. I'm coming back next week with another talk. Actually, I'm not. But that's, I have a reason for that. I have a reason for that. So, yeah, the, 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 those aren't the practice. The practice of the goal isn't that, you know, that we jump up and down and go crazy, that we actually spent five minutes with, with God or Jesus, that we were talking to him, that we did solitude, that we fasted, or whatever the practice is. Those are just a means to an end. It just means to an end. We don't worship the practice. The practice is not the, the goal. The being with Jesus is the goal of the apprentice, of the follower, of God. The end goal isn't to talk, but it's life with God. That's the end goal of prayer. That's the practice of prayer. It's not, to, not just to talk, not just to spend time, not so that we've ticked off the five, five minutes we've got up and we've did our devotional, we've opened our daily 
whatever that book is. Um, we've, we've opened up the book and we've read the, through the notes and we've done all that. That's not the goal. The goal is not to talk to God. The goal is not to, to do the discipline. The goal is to be with Jesus, to have life and intimacy with God. So we need to learn how to pray. Is that, is that fair? I think we need to learn to do some things again, that we live in such a, a digital-driven society that we need to learn to still our hearts, still our minds, quiet the noise and the chaos that surrounds us every day, every minute of the day, and then we actually find out some things. Now, I heard to bring this story. I hope I can tell it. Do you have your permission, John, to tell your story? You've no idea what story I'm going to tell. Do you have your permission? Is that a yes? Is that an Indian yes? I think that was an Indian yes. His head sort of went this year. John told me a really funny story this week when he was doing, uh, his, I think as you're doing your PhD, he's writing, he had built himself or he went off in a quiet place to, to write in a caravan. Caravan. And so he's out in the caravan and he, when he stops in the quietness, he hears this ringing, this noise. So he assumes it's a gas. Right? In the caravan. So he checks the gas, gas not plugged on. He's like, still doing that Indian thing with his head down there. And so, but look this way. And so he, he, he doesn't know what the noise is, but he discovers that the moment that he stops and silences the voices and the chaos and the noise in his world, that he has had and he has tinnitus. Sorry, this is not funny. I'm not making a joke of it, John. Sorry, I'm not making a joke of your. Well, it is a funny story. Oh, thank you, John. So it's John's story, not your story. So if John gives me permission, I can tell whatever way I like and whatever style I like. Is that right, John? Thank you. Go on ahead, John. Legal transaction right there. Verbally agreement, verbal agreement. So isn't that, isn't that kind of crazy that we live with so much noise and distraction and things that are a problem actually in our lives? That we don't even, we're not even aware of them until we actually pause and stop and allow Jesus to do something about that. So, I thought that was very, very interesting. We need to learn how to pray. We live in the noise-filled society. We need to learn again, if we're going to be apprentices, if we're going to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and if we're going to sustain and do what he has asked us to do in this community, here, near, and far, if we're going to have sustainability and momentum and fruit that lasts, then we just can't go off and do it in our own steam and our own energy with our best ideas. We've got to do it out of the life and flow with being with Jesus. Would you agree? Great. So it's interesting. We've got to learn how to do that. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished praying, I don't know whether they were impressed or what it was, but the disciples asked this question. They asked the question, Lord, teach us to pray. That's where we're hanging this next few weeks on. Teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples to pray. I don't think it is a surprise that Jesus' apprentice asked Jesus to pray because I think that they're pretty smart guys. I think that they caught on very quickly that the life of God, the flow of God, came out of this thing called prayer. So I think they've caught on to that, that the root of Jesus' ministry was founded in prayer. But there are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All written versions, different versions slightly, of the life of Jesus Christ, all telling different stories to get the picture of Jesus. So we, we put them all together and we get a big picture of Jesus walking on the earth. But it's very interesting. This one time, this is the one time, this is the only time the question is asked when they specifically asked Jesus to teach him something. 
So as I read the Gospels, you can, you can Google it, you can put it in, you don't have to get a Bible out and go through every, every word and sentence in the four, book, four Gospels in the New Testament. You can actually just Google this, probably, probably, it's probably a quick way to do it. There is no incident, there is no written or no recorded um, writing where they've asked Jesus to teach him how to heal somebody. Specifically said, Jesus teaches how to heal the sick. You can't find that in the New Testament. Nor is there anything that the disciples, there's no time the disciples come up to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how we should baptize people. It's not in the scriptures, not in the gospels. There is no record at all in all four gospels where they say, Jesus, teach us how to exercise a demon. There's no question, there's no written documentation in all four gospels. But this one time, this is the only time disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them something, and the question is asked to teach them how to pray. Isn't that something? Dude, oh, I thought it was fun for a minute. It was a novelty factor for me, maybe. But teach us to pray. Could it be the cut that prayer was the core root from everything that he did? Could it be that they, they didn't need taught how to heal the sick because they knew that when Jesus prayed from that, then he healed the sick? Could it be that when he cast out a demon, that actually Jesus does give them the answer? That the, the guy said, hey, your disciples, they, they're not very good at this. You've done it. And Jesus said, this type only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Da, da, da. So it's just like, they're, they're smart guys, actually. We, we, sometimes we, we give them some abuse. But they're smart guys. They've caught on that all that Jesus did came out of the context and out of the flow of the life of prayer. And so the thing that they need to learn to do is not maybe how to heal the sick uh, or cast out demons or anything, but the thing that they need to learn to do is teach us how to pray. We get that right. We're going further faster. Is that fair to say? Okay, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This is his response. This is just a teaser this morning. It's an opening to get your heart caught and hopefully that we start putting process plans and um, rhythms in their lives to be with Jesus. Let me read it. Let's read it. It says in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. It's written twice. It's written in Luke 1 and then Matthew 9 or Matthew 6. I like Matthew 6 because he gives us uh, the uh, unedited version. Okay, you've got the footnotes and the end notes with Matthew. So this is what he says. The answer to that is, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. But I want us to just take four things this morning that will engage our hearts and lock our hearts into this discipline and practice of prayer, hopefully, hopefully. Four things you'll discover in this prayer. Number one, and this is so, so important, it's, it's what you notice actually right away about the prayer that Jesus doesn't start with the list. The list is okay, by the way. It's okay to ask God for things because he's your resource. Actually, you should be going to God, your Father, who knows what you need and who cares for you and who is a Father. You should go into the secret place, close the door, and your Father who sees in secret knows what you need. Go and have a conversation with your Father. So that's okay. Okay, I'm not saying that you don't do that, but this is the starting point. It's interesting for Jesus, there's some first things are first. The flow in this prayer, first things are first. And the first one, line one, our Father. That's just brilliant. Now, we can miss it. And I know you probably have not missed it, but let me just 
refresh and remind again. So what's worth knowing is worth repeating. Jesus' favorite name for God is Father. His favorite name for, for God is Father. And that's what he wants us to get. Our Father. God is your Father. This is the center of our faith. This is the center of our faith. If we don't have a correct perspective of God as a good Father, we pray in a way that doesn't reflect the relationship that God has desired for us to have. Does that make sense? If we don't get that, if we don't get the picture, the perspective of God as a Father, we pray in a way that doesn't reflect the relationship God wants to have with us. God is not about a form, but a few of who He is. He wants us to get, not sorry, not the form or the 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 model, but he wants us to get a few of who he is. And that's the first thing is first, that if you want to connect with God in prayer, you want the life with God, then you've got to see God as your father. That's the best description that Jesus ever gave us of who he was. So it's not about the form, but the few of who he is. He's kind, he's loving, he's graceful, he's forgiven. He's a good, good father. We're not throwing hopeful words out into space to some sort of power out there and hope it sticks, touch wood, who knows it's worth saying a prayer anyway, right? Let's do that. That's not the relationship God wants us to have in being with him and talking with him. He wants us to know that we are father-son relationship people. That's so important that you hear that. We're not throwing out words in the space. Maybe, maybe someone, maybe if he's in a good mood today, maybe if he's not too busy saving the world, that God might actually stop and hear my prayers. Maybe I'll just, just throw them out there. That's not what he wants. The reason Jesus gives us the flow in this prayer is our Father is that's the relationship that he desires to have with us. Not, that's not, that's not, it's not necessarily our first desire, by the way. Do you know that? That's not first our initial intentionality that we would have a relationship with God the Father. See, sometimes it's nicer to have a relationship with God the power, God the awesome God, God the creator, because it's easier that way because you can keep him a little distant. Keep him big sometimes means keep him distant. And I don't think that's healthy. So we're responding to the Father. We're not having a one-way conversation with the spiritual being. Every religion has prayer. Every religion has prayer. Uh, it's... Nothing new there. That's why Jesus, when he's talking, and I think it's in Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew 6, when he says, don't pray like the pagans. Did you know the pagans pray? He says, don't pray like the pagans. They babble on and on and on and on and on and on and on. They pray. All the religions pray. Lots of people pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists, Muslims. Lots of people pray. But what sets us apart what sets us apart is that we come not to a God, but to our Father. And that settles a lot of issues. That settles a lot of issues. It's that picture. It's that picture that, that Christianity is not about throwing words out there. Christianity, as warm and fuzzy as it sounds, is about climbing up into our Father's knee and into his arms and being with him. That's what prayer is. You will not find that in any other religion in the world. That you can actually climb into the arms of a loving father, a loving God who knows and sees and who hears and who wants to respond and who wants a relationship based on fatherhood, not on some power that's out there. Isn't that wonderful? Just, you know, everybody wants a king like Jesus. Everybody needs a king like Jesus. 
in our world, in our communities, in our hurting, broken society, need to God, where they can't, there's not just necessarily shouting at or trying to gain favor with, where they can just know that they can climb into his arms and receive from him. So that's so important. The number one thing that you need to know about prayer is that God's your father. Have I said that? God's your father. I pray this morning, I really do pray sincerely that God would come in his grace and his kindness, that Holy Spirit would come and break the strongholds in your mind that are false images of who he is. That he would do that. The best image that God could give you to sustain you in your relationship with God is that you recognize that he's a good father, that he's kind and he's good. And so we break those strongholds in Jesus' name right now. Those images of God in your mind. Because if you don't, you'll never be drawn to him. Oh, you'll try it. You'll, you'll, you'll muster up the energy. You'll, you'll form disciplines. You'll do it out of duty, but you'll never do it out of delight. It'll never be, it'll be a practice. It'll never be a passion. It'll never be a pleasure for you. You'll do it. You'll try it, and you'll go through, and you'll take the boxes, and it'll become a model and a formula for you. But let it be everything to do with delight and everything to do with pleasure. Break the strongholds. How do we picture God? Dictates the heart posture, right? I'm a dad of three boys, actually three men now, but I love them and have great relationship with them. At least I think I do. Do we have relationship? Okay, we have relationship. But uh, I want to be with the boys. I want to be with the lads. I just don't want them coming to me when they need stuff. I want to actually hang out with them. I want to go to a football match with them. I want to go to the cinema with them. You know, I want to do lots of stuff. I want, and, and, and as best as I know, I think they love me too. Well, I know they love me, but guess what? I also think they like me. But I know that I love them, and I know that I like them. I know that I like them, and I'm a dad. I'm not the best dad in the world, but just think how good God is. He's way better than I could ever be as a dad. Way better than that. So I want to, I want you to, I want to tell you something this morning. It may be news to you. It may not be news, but it's worth hearing again. Again, what's worth hearing is worth repeating, so that's okay. I think that through this prayer, the first line, that there's nothing left. Uh, just by chance, I think that the first line in this prayer, the being with Jesus, the being like Jesus, the, the connecting to God our Father, is that God is our Father, and get this, He has good intentions towards you. So you might get the first part, but I do want you to get the second part. God is a good Father, and He has good intentions towards you. Do you hear that? God has good intentions towards you today. God loves you, but He also likes you. See, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's easy to distract, and not distract actually, to, to pull away and to detach yourself if we just think that God loves the world. Sometimes that's easier for me. But that God has good intentions towards Jason. He likes me, and he wants to be around me. Does that make sense? So that's just a starter for 10. The second point in this, if you're taking notes at all, first one is God is your father and his good intentions towards you. That's the first line in the prayer. It's the first step that we take into this life with God and praying with God, not to God. The second point in the prayer, it says, our father, where is he? In heaven. Now, that just sounds like I've contradicted myself in the nearness and closeness of God because all of a sudden now we have this God who is in heaven. 
And therefore, you come to a charismatic church and you've got to stretch your hands way, way up high because he's way, way far away because God's in heaven. And if you really want to reach him and touch him, if you want to do that too, if you're really charismatic or from a Pentecostal background, try and get up on your tiptoes at the same time. It's good for your core. So, right, Alan? It's good exercise. So, God's in heaven, right? That's how we picture that. That's how we picture that. The place where he is is heaven, but that's not exactly what the writers intended. It's just there's a language problem here in the translation. The language problem is that heaven is not a reference to some place in outer space. It's not. That's not where heaven is. So the best way that I can describe heaven, it's, I think, the, yeah, the best way I can describe it is air or atmosphere. Air or atmosphere. So hear it this way. I've written this, so let me read it off here. Our Father, who is as close to me as the air I breathe. That's different. That's different. Most of us don't feel close to God all the time, but know this, we are. I know there's some bright, smart thinking people out there who write books and sell, I was going to say tapes, but they probably, if they were that smart, they wouldn't be selling tapes now. And they're real hipsters, and they think, yeah, there's a market for tapes. But anyway, let me not distract you. There's some people out there who say, you know, sometimes God likes to hide. I don't believe that, by the way. I just, I just don't get that. Here's my persuasion. I'll give you my thought. And I think God finds it impossible to be distant from us. I do. He's the air, he's the heaven, it's the atmosphere around us, it's a space, it's a realm. And Matthew uses heaven, Luke doesn't use heaven. Actually, when Matthew talks about the kingdom of God, he translates it this way, the kingdom of heaven. Both are the same thing. So it's not the kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. It's the rule and reign of King Jesus here on earth. So it's, it's all around me, it's the air, it's the space that are around me. He is so close to me. He's as close as air and the one that you feel on your face as you head out the doors. So he's close to me. He's close to me. Most of us don't feel close to him, but he wants, he wants to be close to us. And uh, what a great practice if we're walking outside, right? What about this? What if we, if we dried this? If, what if we, we walked outside? And this is a great time of year to do that. October's a beautiful season. Uh, if you walk outside and you feel that wound on your face, what if you stopped and you just said, you just paused and you prayed, my father always near me. Imagine that in your life. Imagine the relationship, just those simple thought, that simple prayer, simplicity in the prayer, but wow, power in our lifestyle as we walk with Jesus. Imagine every time, just as a practice, when you feel the wind, the natural breath and the wind on your face, that it's, you stopped and you paused and you said, my father who is always near me. I don't believe in a hide and seek theology. Sorry. If that's your persuasion, you're wrong, I'm right. I don't believe in a hide-and-seek theology. Community group, last week we had a practice, and it actually took me by surprise. Um, we were talking about stilling ourselves, pausing ourselves, even just engaging with our breathing. I know it sounds kind of weird, but stay with me. Imagine the presence all around you. That's what our focus was. And then for some people, we imagined that instead of God being in the distance, that God was actually in a chair in front of you in the same room. And that's how we should pray. Or if you find it hard seeing God on a chair, then a throne might work for your imagery. 
But we all have pictures of God, right? So that's not weird. You all have a picture of God when you pray to him. So instead of praying to this distant God up there in the heavens, what if you just actually pictured him as near to you as the breath that you feel on your face? And then give him your heart. I'll give him your requests. Give him your worries. Give him your thanks and your gratitude and everything else in between. Most of us don't always feel God close to us. That's a given, even though he is. Here's what I've discovered. God hates three o'clock and he doesn't like cities. I'll clarify. It's amazing how you get up in the morning and you're still yourself and you quiet yourself and God's there. And yet he's not there at three o'clock. He just doesn't like three o'clock, does he? Or we go off and we walk someplace. It's a place of nature and a place of beauty. And all of a sudden, our hearts are connected to God. So I conclude that God doesn't like cities. Because every time I still myself, I go for a walk in the park around the Argra, I always connect with God. Now, could it be that I'm wrong and God is always present? And the problem isn't that God is distant. The problem is that I've got disordered loves and I'm distracted. Maybe. I suggest to you I'm wrong. He's near. I've got disordered loves and I'm distracted. And it's funny when we stop and pause that he's all of a sudden he's there. Isn't that funny? Nicholas of Cusa, he said this. This is his quote. God is an infinite circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Brilliant. And like I said, God, your Father, as best as I see him in Scripture and relationship with Holy Spirit, because they're three in one, right? And he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. Did he say that? Is he lying? No. He's always near you. He's always with you. Presence of the Spirit of God is everywhere and on everyone that receives him where he finds a resting place. So I want to suggest to you that God, your Father, does not know how to be absent. He doesn't. He doesn't know how to be absent. And some of us, maybe need, maybe it's a longer journey for us. Maybe it's just not a Sunday morning where I get to throw out some words and encouragement and, and fire out some scriptures at you. Maybe for some of you this morning that this is going to be a journey for you. That you need to change the way that you think, your perspective of God, that he's not distant, that he's as close. The God, your Father in heaven, is as close as the air that you breathe. He's all around you. And every time you feel that one in your face, even though he does feel distance, even when you're distracted, why don't you get into the position? Why don't you allow your, your head to catch up with your heart? And every time you feel the one of God, say, my father, he is always near. The third line is, hallowed be your name. This one as a kid, I used to, I could get the first one. Good father relationship, natural father. Makes it easy for me, my, for me, my experience of growing up to have good father relationship with God the Father. So that's given, right? I know that the kingdom of heaven is near because Jesus brought it. So I have no problem with Matthew's um, translation or Matthew's description of saying my father in heaven because I always knew that God was near. God could never be absent. The problem is always my distraction and my disordered loves. That's not a problem for God. He, he doesn't know how to be absent. But I used to think, what does it mean hallowed be your name? I didn't know how to hallow his name. 
Do you? Do you know how to hallow his name? Like, could, it, the, the, the other stuff we can bring into our everyday ordinary, but, you know, could you imagine saying that to somebody else? You know, how do you get that in the, the conversation just during your week in the workplace? You know, try it this week. Just, here's, here's a game this week for all of us in our morning tea break. I want you to get the word hallowed in as you talk to a work colleague. Like, uh, hallowed be your new top. What? Because you think I'm being disrespectful, right? The word hallowed actually means, it means holy. But in good old Northern Ireland terms, holy means morality. Yes, but not exclusively. Holy is more than morality. It's much, much more than that. Holy is the description of God set apart. And throughout the scriptures, if you really go go deep into the word holy, it actually means beautiful and good. Beautiful and good. And I would suggest to you this morning that when every time you pray that prayer, that instead of just saying, hallowed be your name, because that just rolls off the tongue, it's the flow, right? And this is a life with God, not just talking to God. We don't want to be about that. But if we want to connect with God, this is the third thing that's so, so helpful. Is Jesus teaches us to pray because the disciples brilliantly asked him to teach him, and he responded. Hallowed means that it's more than just morality. It's more than just set apart. It's actually a beautiful and good God. He's full of love. He's full of love. He is someone to be celebrated. He is someone to be enjoyed. He is someone that you want to be around. He is good and he is beautiful. It takes me right back. If you, this might be a stretch. You might think this is elastic theology this morning with Jason Scott, but it's not. You go to the book of Galatians and you're, you're looking for the fruit of the spirit, the character of God. What is the character of God? This holy God whose name is to be held. What is some of the things? The first three things is that God is that this God, Spirit of the Spirit, is love, <coughs> joy, peace. Even just stay with those three things. That's who he is. When we're, when we're hallowing his name, we're doing stuff, and this is what I think we do. We get to, we just, we don't just spend time with him, but often we actually experience his goodness in our lives, in our hearts. So when you're being with God, when you're praying with God, when we're hallowing his name, we're actually experiencing. And some of you have actually experienced what beautiful this morning, actually. Michelle described it as just going, instead of going straight in, I was a little distracted this morning because my morning routine of going on my wee scooter and going up the road and around the town and praying and doing all that, I got stopped by the police. And there's something within my core nature. I probably need some counseling. When I get stopped with the police, I panic. <laughs> And it took me all day. And I was thinking, this, this is going to be bad. Everybody's at church, and I'm going to be down the police station. And they're going to hold me. I, have no, no ghost. I don't have a solicitor's phone number. What do I do? Kathy Harvey's here. Hmm? This is just how the Lord works. Anyway, it didn't, anyway, I'm saying all that to say this. That, that's nonsense, by the way. Well, it was stopped at the place, but everything's good. Uh, Michelle said, that this just stop. Let's not just rush in because it just feels like God's love is in the room, the blanket of God. And have you ever stopped any time at all just to be with Jesus, to be with God, this life with God, and not just that you had a conversation, but you actually experienced peace and joy in your life? Anybody? I'm just going to ask you to actually raise your hand if, that, if anybody's experienced that. So that's been an experience. It's a byproduct of being with God. So that's what it actually means to, to hallow his name. To hallow his name. 
It's beautiful, isn't it? When you set time aside, you just don't have a conversation. You just don't have a list. It's not Christmas or shopping list. You just you want to be with him, but you also not just want to be with him. You want to experience him. And that's the beautiful thing about the vineyard is that we are not just faith and logic, but we are also experiential. And people say, well, that's dangerous. No, it's not. It's kind of dangerous if you don't experience. You're kind of dangerous person if you have no emotion, you have no feeling at all. I, I would say a more healthy person is somebody who feels. Right? Who feels pain. Feels sadness. Who feels joy. Who can celebrate. Who's emotionally healthy. Emotionally healthy person. person who's been transformed by the presence and power of Jesus Christ is a person who experiences and feels and knows. So it's a beautiful gift we have as a vineyard. So I'm coming on the land just with the fourth thing now. So the main part of our prayer time is that God is our Father. He's as close as the air that we breathe, and we get to experience him. We get to hallow his name. We get to celebrate and revel in his love and his peace and his joy, and that can be an experience, and that also can be the experience for your town, your community, and others that you're praying for. Do you get that? That should change your posture and your heart and your thinking. It's not just that we're praying for people so that their lives can be changed, yeah? How do you think their lives are going to be changed? Because of your, the words that you say? No, because of the power and transformation of Jesus Christ through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is peace and joy, and that's what we get to pray over people's lives. Isn't that good? Yeah. That's very good, Jason. Good, 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 good. Keep going, Jason. Oh, oh, thank you. See you later, Colin. Um, the fourth thing, um, we're going to talk about this next week probably um, a bit more, but the main, the, the, the main part of our prayer time is it's with the Father, and the fourth thing is we get to ask for stuff. It's okay. The last thing is your prayer does make a difference. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It does make a difference. It does make a difference. The kingdom come, meaning for, for Jesus, your prayer ushers heaven to earth. I, I wish I could, I wish I could do, I wish I could put something in this or plug something in. Did you ever do that? Check of your life. Distraction, distraction. Do you, do you, what was I saying? Okay, if I could, if I could, there's a couple of things I'd like to do. Um, if I could, if I, you know, if you had the power, you know, if, if we really were a cult, it would be kind of cool because I could get you to do things and, and all that there, but we're not, and so it's harder. So, <laughs> so, all that to say this, if I could get something into your heart, into your spirit, into your thinking, your understanding would be this, that you usher in the kingdom of heaven. Man, if I could teach you anything, we were, I, occasionally I go over our five-year plan that we did back in, 19, not nine, 2003, <laughs> and one of my core visions and beliefs and, uh, and wishes and desires was that the people that came to Vineyard Church in Ghana would have an understanding and a practice of the kingdom of heaven. Still the same. If I could get you to know anything this morning, it would be that you and I get to say in Dungannon as it is in heaven, in Tyrone as it is in heaven, in Ireland as it is in heaven. Wow. Jesus seems to believe that if we pray, things can happen. Sometimes we don't. And some things, sometimes things don't happen. Because there's a devil, there's an enemy, and I, yeah, the will of God does not always get its way. Dallas Willard, I've been reading a lot of him recently, I am finishing. He said this, 
God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he's going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does regardless of whether we pray or not is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't, Nellie. Beautiful, brilliant, and clever. Four things God, Jesus, Holy Spirit wants you to enter into prayer. Number one, God is your Father. God is close to you. Number two, He wants you to enjoy His company. Number four, you really can't see change and impossible things happen. And when you framework that, everything else out of that flow, your lists, your wants, your needs, when you have the posture of who God is, when you're confident and you live in a life where he's close as air that you breathe, where you're hallowed in his name, when you know that he's got his peace and joy and his character is good, it's something to be celebrated, and you know that the kingdom of God can come in Dungannon as it is in heaven. When you get that in your thinking and the core of your being, then the list and the needs is just easy peasy. Right? You're not coming cap in hand. You're coming to the Father. You're climbing up on his knees and you're having a conversation. So I believe that this prayer is not just a liturgy, but it's actually a flow and a rhythm that God wants to get into our lives and in our daily ordinary. Let me finish up just with this one thought. I used to, uh, I still do actually, I admire people that pray often and practice the rhythm of prayer. But I used to think that somebody like me, and I find it a struggle to be honest with you, I find this practice a struggle. I can read scripture, I can read theology books, I can do everything else, but still my heart, quiet my, my mind and my heart to be with Jesus and to talk to him. I am getting better. But I used to conclude that those who um, had the lifestyle of prayer, who prayed more than I did, they, I just made this assumption that they were more disciplined than I was. And then you get around people who pray often and pray more and have a lifestyle and a practice of prayer and you discover something. And this is not being uh, trite or anything, but this is just my observation. And I've discovered that they're not necessarily more disciplined than I am. But the one difference is, it's not about discipline. It's they find something in the practice of prayer. They find an enjoyment. They find a delight. And my prayer for us as a church, would you stand? My prayer for us as we engage in becoming more like Jesus, to be with him, to, to become like him, and to do the stuff that he does, and the stuff that he did, if we're going to be that people, that my prayer is that you just don't become more disciplined, but you find the delight. That you just don't find a practice, but you find the pleasure. You find the pleasure in your life. You see, when you find the delight and you find the pleasure, you forget about the practice. You just want to be with them. You want a week, you want, you want to, it's like Jesus just can't help himself. It's like the only space I can get is up a mountain in the middle of the night. 
Everybody else is crowded in on me. And when you find the delight of God the Father, he is close as the air that you breathe. He's not distant. When he's got, he just doesn't love you, he likes you, and he's got, his intentions are good towards you. Well, you're captured by that. You're captured by that heart. You can't help but be with him. You can't help but be with him. So Jesus, would you come?